Hi guys, how we doing? I'm Liz Wheeler. Welcome to the Liz Wheeler Show. It's officially fall, by the way, not just by the date. Obviously, we passed September 22nd, but you can tell because I'm wearing my fall blazer for the first time. So we officially know that it's autumn when I bring out my fall wardrobe. Before we get into what I want to talk about on the show today, I want to remind everyone, or rather, not remind, I haven't even announced this yet. I want to invite everyone on Wednesday, September 28th, we are going to have a live stream watch party of the January 6th committee's primetime hearing. The reason for this is it's garbage TV. It's going to be a garbage hearing. And if we are going to have to experience garbage, don't you want to experience it together to get some enjoyment out of it? We did this the last time during the first, the debut hearing of the January 6th committee, and I thought it was really fun. I think you guys thought it was really fun too. So let's do it again. It is Wednesday, September 28th. At 1 p.m. Eastern, if you join us on LizWheelerShow.com slash locals, we will be live streaming, watching together. How it will work is you tune in and it'll be a split screen between me and my sidebar comments and then you and your typed comments and the January 6th hearing um, itself. So it'll be really fun. LizWheelerShow.com slash locals to join that live stream. I'll remind you again tomorrow just in case you forget. Okay, what are we going to talk about on the show today? Merrick Garland's Department of Justice sent an FBI team to raid the home of a pro-lifer, a man, he's married, he has seven children, and he prays outside of abortion clinics once a week in Philadelphia. Seven children. His seven children were home at the time that the FBI agents with rifles pointed at him came to his home to raid his home and arrest him. Now, maybe you've heard this story. Maybe you haven't. Either way, it is such an important story to talk about it or to talk about in great detail. We need to talk about this. So today what I want to talk about is I want to talk about what the larger implications of this are. It's not just an important story or an egregious story in and of itself. It's not an isolated incident. We need to talk about what the larger implications of this are. I also want to talk about how do we respond to this? Because this is the next when the FBI raided Mar-a-Lago, we all said, well, if they can raid Mar-a-Lago with zero justification, then we're next. Well, this is the next. So how do we respond to this? First, they call us extremists and domestic terrorists and insurrectionists. Then they target us. What do we do? I also want to talk about what Congress needs to do, because we, the people, are supposed to be represented by our legislators, by our senators, and Congress has action that they can take to stop this abuse. I, I want to talk to you about the FBI itself. There's divide among conservatives about how to handle the FBI, whether it's just political leadership that's corrupted or whether the entirety of the FBI is so corrupted that it should be raised and the earth and the earth where it once stood should be salted. And finally, I want to talk about what the left is trying to provoke by their behavior targeting us and how we should react to this provocation. So let's let's get into this. Okay, let me start by asking you a question. How did you sleep last night? If you answered this question, eh, not so great, or just okay, or please don't ask, well, you're not alone. One out of every three Americans report being sleep deprived, and your sheets could be part of the problem. That's why I like cozy earth sheets. The wrong sheets can trap body heat, leaving you boiling one minute and freezing the next. There is a solution. Fortunately, cozy earth sheets, they are the softest, most luxurious, and best temperature regulating sheets on the planet. It's like sleeping on a cloud. 
which makes sense because they're made from bamboo, which allows cozy earth sheets to breathe. So you sleep at the perfect temperature all year round, especially on in, in, in seasons like this, where one day it's 80 degrees and the next day it's 40 degrees. It, your temperature's all over the place. Cozy Earth even offers a 100 night sleep trial, which means you have up to 100 nights to sleep on it, wash it and try it out. If you are not completely in love, just send it back for a full refund. You can now save 35% on Cozy Earth bamboo bedding, 35%. You have to hurry though. Just go to CozyEarth.com slash Liz35. I love Cozy Earth sheets and I know you will too. I have them on my bed at home right now. That's CozyEarth.com slash L-I-Z-3-5. CozyEarth.com slash Liz35. You won't regret it. It's a great deal that I got just for you. CozyEarth.com slash Liz35. Okay, so first let's talk about the what happened in this story. There's a, a man by the name of Mark Hauk. He's married to a woman named Ryan Marie, and they have seven children. They're a big Catholic family. They homeschool. They're very pro-life. Mark Hauk is the founder of an organization called the King's Men. The King's Men, as an organization, it's a Catholic organization, and it's dedicated to healing for victims of pornography addiction. It also teaches and advocates for Christian virtues among men. This organization serves men in the United States, serves men in Europe. Very, almost stereotypically, Catholic Christian organization. Mark Hauk, once a week, every Wednesday, drives to Philadelphia. It's a two-hour drive for him. He drives to Philadelphia to sidewalk counsel outside of two different abortion clinics, one being a Planned Parenthood clinic. He spends six to eight hours doing this, and then he drives home, the two-hour drive home. This is something he's done for a long time. This is part of his weekly routine, is to dedicate his Wednesdays to praying and sidewalk counseling outside of Planned Parenthood abortion clinics. That's the context of who this guy is and what he does. So fast forward, and this is what, fast forward to Friday, when his wife reports, his wife talked to LifeSite News, and his wife reports that 25 to 30 FBI agents, she called them SWAT agents because she was describing what they were wearing and how they were behaving. The FBI, of course, denies that it was the SWAT team, but the FBI is just parsing language. They're trying to be legalistic about whether or not these people were actually on the SWAT team, when the point of what Ryan Marie Hauk said when she said it was a SWAT team, she meant that they pounded on the door, they aimed their rifles at she and her husband when her children were present up the stairs. At 7.05 a.m., 25 to 30 FBI agents with 15 vehicles parked outside their home start pounding on the door, yelling for the Hauk family to open the doors. Ryan Marie says that her husband asked them to stop pounding and to be less aggressive. He said, of course, I'm going to open the door, but if you would please stop, my children are home. My children are home and they're very frightened. He said he has babies and his babies are crying and frightened, but the FBI ignored this plea for humanity. They just kept pounding and screaming. Brian Marie, this, I don't know if this part of the story gets you. I mean, the FBI abuse when it comes to Donald Trump in 2016 or Donald Trump at Mar-a-Lago, it's egregious. It's awful. The FBI entrapment on January 6th or Gretchen Whitmer, again, it's awful. It's an abuse of power. It's a danger to our country, but it really gets me when they use children when they damage children, when they raid this home and take this father away from his kids. It, it just hits me in a gut in a completely different way. She said her kids are all traumatized because the FBI is pointing a rifle at her husband and at her. They then arrest Mark. When, when Ryan Marie, the wife, asks for a warrant, this is according to what she reported to LifeSite News, they 
ridiculed her, essentially. They said the warrant didn't matter. They were going to arrest him regardless. And Ryan Murray said, well, you can't arrest someone without a warrant. In a case like this, that would be kidnapping. You need to show me the warrant. So they showed her the first page. They went back to their vehicle. They showed her the first page of the warrant and told her they were taking her husband to the federal building, the FBI building in downtown Philadelphia. So after the FBI took Mark, he wanted to take his rosaries with him. But by the time his wife had fetched the rosaries from the other room, the FBI had already bundled Mark out of the house and he was gone. So he wasn't able to take his rosaries with him. Ryan Murray said all the kids were screaming. After they took Mark away, the FBI agents that were left behind, she claimed looked ashamed. This is what she said. She said, I don't really know what's going to come of it when you see guns pointing at your, pointed at your dad and your mom in your house when you first wake up in the morning. She's talking about the trauma that her children suffered, the trauma that her children are going to experience because the FBI raided their home at 7 a.m. with guns pointed and hauled their dad out and took him to the FBI building because he prays outside of a Planned Parenthood. So this is the what, what, the what happened, the, the what it is-ness of what we're talking about here. So what exactly is the charge? Why did the FBI do this to Mark Houck? What is their justification for this? Whether or not their justification is actually justified, what is the reason that they have offered? So on the warrant itself, I want to discuss that. But first, I want to discuss ExpressVPN with you. Now, I like ExpressVPN because it keeps my family and my information safe when I'm online. When you go online without a VPN, internet service providers can see every single website that you visit. They can then legally sell this information, your information, without your consent to ad companies and tech giants who then use your data to target you. If you go online without ExpressVPN, well, use, let me use an analogy here. Using the internet without ExpressVPN is like using the bathroom with a door open. You want to keep your business private, people. When you use ExpressVPN, internet service providers cannot see your online activity. Your identity is anonymized by a secure VPN server. Your data is also encrypted for maximum protection. It's very easy to use. All you do have to do is fire up the app and click one button. So if you're technologically challenged, you are still perfectly capable of operating this system. It works on all devices, phones, laptops, even routers. So everyone who shares your Wi-Fi can be protected. I like ExpressVPN because it keeps my family and our personal information safe when we are online, which is very important to me. Secure your online activity today by visiting expressvpn.com slash Liz. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash Liz. And you can get an extra three months free if you use my URL, expressvpn.com slash Liz. Okay, so the warrant from the FBI is charging Mark with violating the FACE Act. What is the FACE Act? The FACE Act is the Freedom of Access to Clinic Entrances Act. It means that it, it, it's a federal crime to, quote, injure, intimidate, and interfere with anyone because that person is a provider of reproductive health care. It protects abortion clinics from people outside of the abortion clinic. You can, you can take issue with this law and how it protects pro-abortion people specifically on a higher level than pro-life people. I would take issue with this law, but regardless, I guess that's a pointless for this conversation because the law exists right now. And the, the penalty for a violation of the FACE Act is the maximum penalty would be 11 years in prison. Mark Howe could face three years of supervised release after over a decade in prison and fines up to $350,000. Why? What's this charge based on? It's based on something that happened in 2021. In October of 2021, he allegedly attacked a patient escort, meaning a woman who was seeking abortion going into Planned Parenthood. They have escorts to distract the women from the people who are praying, the people who are offering pro-life counseling. Planned Parenthood doesn't want the women to have access to any of that. And so they have escorts that bring the women from their cars into the clinic itself. 
But it's, it's, it's not exactly what that sounds like. This attack of a patient escort is not at all what the FBI is making it sound like. What actually happened is Mark brought his 12-year-old son to pray with him outside of the abortion clinic one Wednesday. And his 12-year-old son was targeted by a pro-abortion protester, one of these people, these, these escorts who doesn't want women to have any access to the full breadth of knowledge about their pregnancy and their baby and their options. And Mark's 12-year-old son was subject to profanities being hurled at him by this pro-abortion protester. In fact, pro- profanities that, according to Ryan Murray Hauk, as she told LifeSite News, she didn't even want to repeat some of the things that this pro-abortion protester said to their son. But among some of the things that were said right to this child's face were, and forgive my language here, but your dad's an F word, F word, a derogatory word for gay people. Your dad's an F word. To a 12-year-old boy, a child. So Mark said, said um, to the man, you know, you don't have permission to talk to my child. Don't speak to my child like that. Back away from my child. And when the pro-abortion protester, the pro-abortion activist, didn't stop harassing his child, Mark um, walked away down the street. He took his child and they, they went away from the entrance of the building. But the pro-abortion activist followed Mark, followed his son, and continued to harass this 12-year-old child, saying, um, hurling obscenities in the face of this, of this little boy. And at that point, Mark shoved the guy away from his son because he was, he was shouting profanities in the face of his child, even as Mark and his son retreated away from the situation to try to avoid what was happening. Mark shoved the guy away from his child. The guy fell back. The pro-abortion protester wasn't hurt, although he later claimed that he was hurt. Mark wasn't ever charged for this. He wasn't ever charged, but the pro-abortion activist tried to sue Mark anyway, even though he wasn't charged, but the case was thrown out of court by the district court in Philadelphia earlier this year. So you'd think that that would be the end of it, right? He wasn't charged. The guy tried to sue. The case was thrown out. He wasn't injured. It was obviously self-defense. This was obviously the pro-abortion activist that was that was bullying, that was harassing, that was abusing this, this child that Mark, the 12-year-old child that Mark had with him. But then, of course, we have Merrick Garland in the Department of Justice in the Biden administration. Merrick Garland decided, okay, so since this lawsuit didn't work out for the pro-abortion activist, the federal government is going to pick this up and they're going to charge Mark for something that the district court threw out. Merrick Garland picked it back up. And I just want to pause right here for a second and, and, and zoom out and look at the big picture. Since the Supreme Court issued their ruling in Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health, which overturned Roe v. Wade, there have been over 100 attacks on pro-life crisis pregnancy centers across the country. This includes firebombing, this includes vandalism. Firebombing, as you know, is, is a terrorist tactic. These are terror attacks against pro-life crisis pregnancy centers just for existing in the wake of the Supreme Court overturning Roe v. Wade. And yet, what of these perpetrators? What happened to them? Merrick Garland's Department of Justice has done nothing. Nothing to hold them accountable. Garland will attack a pro-lifer who defended his son when he was praying outside of a Planned Parenthood. He'll send an FBI raid squad to the home of this family with seven children at the crack of dawn and haul the the dad away in front of his screaming children. But when pro-life crisis pregnancy centers are firebombed, Garland is silent. 
Merrick Garland is a very bad man. Merrick Garland's Department of Justice under the Obama administration, this is their tactic. This is what they do. They use FBI SWAT raids to intimidate and target Joe Biden's political opposition. We've seen this with Trump supporters. Look at all the raids that have happened to anybody that's associated in any way, shape, or form with the Trump administration. Anybody who was there or spoke or organized a group around January 6th raids, dozens of raids from the FBI across the country targeting these people. There was another raid that Garland's Department of Justice inflicted on pro-lifers back in March. Doctors who advocate for medical freedom have been the target of Garland's FBI raid. This is his favorite tactic because it accomplishes multiple purposes. It intimidates other people from dissenting from the radical leftist ideology because they become afraid. They, oh, they might think, oh, you and I might think, oh, I don't want to pray outside of a Planned Parenthood because that might subject my family to an FBI raid. I can't put my family through that. I'm just not going to do that. I'll do something else. I'm not going to go to Washington, D.C. and protest because the FBI might entrap me. I might spend a year in solitary confinement for accidentally walking through a barrier. This is exactly why Garland's Department of Justice does this. It intimidates other people. It also is just a weapon that Biden administration uses against people who dare to dissent from their ideology. They have no facts to stand on, no arguments for their policies. They cheat and rig elections. They target unborn children. They manipulate and abuse women. They have no way to defend this, and so they silence dissent so that maybe you won't be exposed to the truth. This, this is also why I ask, this is what I mean when I ask, where are all the good apples in the FBI? Because let me back up for a second. When the Biden administration used the agency OSHA, the, the, the administrative state agency in the federal government OSHA to issue that VAX mandate that said that all private employers had to force their employees to be vaccinated. Otherwise, they, the employees, even the private companies had to fire their employees. There were all these Republican elected officials who spoke out against this, but they didn't speak out against it entirely. They always had this caveat. They said, well, I believe in vaccination. I've been vaccinated. My spouse has been vaccinated. My parents who are vulnerable population have been vaccinated. But I don't think the Biden administration should force people to be vaccinated. And they had this, this virtue signaling that they had to shove in everybody's face before they condemned what Biden did. And just by engaging in this virtue signaling, they somewhat legitimized what Biden was doing. Because by saying like, oh, this is a good vax, this is a vax that I took, it makes it less horrendous to use the power of the government to infringe on people's medical freedom and inflict this on them without their consent or else risk being fired from their job. And I just, I, I, I at the time, you guys probably remember talk, me talking about this. I said, I just can't with these politicians. I cannot with the line, oh, I've been vaxxed, but I don't, I don't support the vax mandates. Stop, just say, I don't support the vax mandates. Just condemn it. No one cares what you chose to do in your personal life. But the new iteration of this narrative is what these same Republican politicians are saying about the FBI. They look at the FBI and they can look at what the FBI did with the Russia collusion, trying to incite a coup against President Trump, unseat a duly elected president, invent, invent accusations that Trump committed treason with Vladimir Putin. They can look at what the FBI did to Michael Flynn. They can look at what the FBI did on January 6th. They can look at what the FBI did to Gretchen, around the Gretchen Whitmer fednapping plot. They can look at what the FBI did to at Mar-a-Lago to President Trump. The FBI, they can look at what the FBI 
how they label parents as domestic terrorists. They can look at how the FBI internally identifies militia violent extremists, those of us with a don't tread on me flag flying outside of, uh, outside of their homes, people that like American history or the founding fathers. The FBI is a corrupt, despicable institution. It's been weaponized by radical leftists from top to bottom to be used against anybody who dissents from Joe Biden's administration and the agenda of his administration, the radical leftist agenda of his administration. And so this new iteration of the, well, I got the vax myself, I think it's great, but I don't want Biden to force it on you. The new iteration of that is these same Republican politicians who say, well, we shouldn't abolish the FBI. The FBI is full of rank and file men who serve and sacrifice for our country, who do good work. It's just the political leadership at the FBI that's been corrupted. B.S. B.S. If that were true, the abuse by the FBI would be limited to just this small cadre in Washington, D.C. You wouldn't see it popping up in, I don't know, Philadelphia? Raiding the home? The rural home, by the way, two hours outside of Philadelphia, raiding the home of a pro-lifer? Where are the good apples in this? Or in Michigan, with the Gretchen Whitmer fednapping, where they entrapped a group of ne'er-do-wells into thinking that they're going to commit violence against Whitmer just to paint everyone who's a lockdown dissenter as being someone who would be willing to commit violence against a, a, an elected official. Or Florida around Mar-a-Lago. It's funny how, you know, this is just supposed to be the Washington, D.C. political elite who are so political. And yet some of the most egregious things have happened have not happened in Washington, D.C. They've happened at all these field offices around the country. Or what about Los Angeles? What happened in Los Angeles, what the FBI did in Los Angeles, most people haven't even heard about it. We're going to talk about that in just a second, but first I want to talk to you about Upside. Upside is a new sponsor on our show, and I am really excited about this. I like Upside because we're all hurting from Biden's sky-high inflation, and Upside helps me earn money back on my purchases, which helps offset the Biden inflation a little bit. Upside is an incredible app for anyone who buys gas, groceries, or dines out, which means all of us, right? With every purchase, I'm earning cash back thanks to Upside. And don't worry, I can vouch for this. Upside is not too good to be true. I've used it and it works. Upside is a no-brainer. It's very easy to get started. All you do is download the free Upside app, then use my promo code, Liz5, and you can get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. Next, all you have to do is claim an offer for whatever you're buying. You claim the offer on Upside. You check in at the business, you pay as usual with a credit or debit card, and then you get paid by Upside. In comparison to credit card rewards or loyalty programs, you can earn three times more cash back with Upside. Upside users are earning more than a million dollars every week. Download the free Upside app and use promo code Liz5 to get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. That's $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more using promo code Liz5. All you have to do is download the free Upside app. I highly encourage it. Okay, so out in Los Angeles, this is this story. A lot of people haven't heard this story, and it's one of the most bananas stories that I've read. The LA Times posted a whole expose or published a whole expose about it, and I want to read a little bit of this LA Times piece. So it's called, the title of this piece is FBI Misled Judge Who Signed Warrant for Beverly Hills Seizure of $86 Million in Cash. I mean, even just in that, in that short headline, there's a lot packed in. This is what the LA Times writes. The privacy invasion was vast. 
when FBI agents drilled and pried their way into 1,400 safe deposit boxes at the U.S. private vault store in Beverly Hills. They rummaged through personal belongings of a jazz saxophone player, an interior designer, a retired doctor, a flooring contractor, two Century City lawyers, and hundreds of others. Agents took photos and videos of pay stubs, password lists, credit cards, a prenuptial agreement, immigration and vaccination records, bank statements, heirlooms, and a will. Court records show this. In one box, agents found cremated human remains. 18 months later, newly unsealed court documents show that the FBI and U.S. Attorney's Office in Los Angeles got their warrant for that raid by misleading the judge who approved it. They omitted from their warrant request a central part of the FBI's plan. Permanent confiscation of everything inside every box containing at least $5,000 in cash or goods, a senior FBI agent recently testified. Let's pause there for one second. Can you even believe the FBI broke into 1,400 safe deposit boxes with the preconceived intention to keep everything of value? Not everything of value tied to a crime, but just to keep everything after drilling their way into other people's belongings. This is what the LA Times writes. The FBI's justification for the dragnet forfeiture was its presumption that hundreds of unknown box holders were all storing assets somehow tied to unknown crimes, court records show. It took five days for scores of agents to fill their evidence bags with the bounty, more than $86 million in cash and a bonanza of gold, silver, rare coins, gem-studded jewelry, and enough Rolex and Cartier watches to stock a boutique. The U.S. Attorney's Office has tried to block public disclosure of court documents that laid bare the government's deception, but a judge rejected its request to keep them under seal. The failure to disclose the confiscation plan in the warrant request came to light in FBI documents and depositions of agents in a class action lawsuit by box holders who say the raid violated their rights. Yeah, no dip the raid violated their rights. Robert Frommer, a lawyer who represents nearly 400 box holders in the class action case, wrote in court papers, the government did not know what was in the boxes, who owned them, or what, if anything, these people had done. That's why the warrant application did not even attempt to argue there was probable cause to seize and forfeit box renters' property. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine taking your valuables and saying, listen, I want to put this in a safe deposit box. I'm going to go rent one. You put it in there. You leave it. You trust this institution to protect it. That's part of of the business transaction. You pay them. They provide the safety and the security. And then the FBI, law enforcement, federal law enforcement, not only snoops in your stuff, drills into your stuff, but takes your stuff without any probable cause. They have no evidence that you're tied to a crime, no evidence that you committed a crime, no evidence that this valuable, these valuables, whether it's jewels or gold or cash, was begot of a crime, which is their only justification for seizing it if it's something that facilitated a crime or was begot of a crime. And they just take it. The LA Times writes, box holders would liken the raid to police barging into a building's 700 apartments and taking every tenant's possessions when they have evidence of wrongdoing by nobody but the landlord. That's the thing. So the FBI was actually investigating the owners of this facility, the owners of this business, not the people who came in and rented the boxes. Yet because they were investigating the owners, they took all of the assets, all of the valuables, all the cash and the jewels and the will and the cremated human remains, somebody's relative for safekeeping, they just stole it. 
The LA Times says to confiscate an asset under U.S. forfeiture laws, the government must first have evidence that it was derived from criminal conduct or used to facilitate it. In the raid's aftermath, the criminal case against U.S. private vaults sputtered to an end with nobody sent to prison. So the FBI stole $86 million in cash from these box holders, and then in the end, they couldn't even get a conviction. Nobody was sent to prison. But the FBI, oh, they're big, fat, richer. The company went out of business, the LA Times writes. It was sentenced to pay a $1.1 million fine for laundering drug money, but prosecutors conceded it lacked the means to pay it. Under a plea deal, the U.S. Attorney's Office agreed not to prosecute the company's owners, despite a Justice Department policy under Attorney General Merrick Garland to hold individuals accountable for corporate wrongdoing. This, is, this reminds me of a thriller movie, like a law enforcement FBI movie. Except instead of the FBI doing something like this, this is like someone who pulls a heist. The FBI staged a heist. And the only reason that some of the people have gotten some of their things back is because of this class action lawsuit. Now, I, I, I fully acknowledge maybe this, maybe this safe deposit box organization or facility, maybe it was sketchy. I don't know. That's what the FBI claims. I don't trust the FBI, but they, these could be criminals. They could be guilty of money laundering. That's not good. That's what they were suspected of, money laundering. But to drill into all the boxes, not just the owners, you would have to have probable cause or else this is a violation of the Fourth Amendment, which protects individual citizens against unreasonable search and seizure. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. Even if one or two or 10 or 20 of these 1,400 boxes were owned by people who had committed crimes. Maybe it was a sketchy place where criminals were known to, to stash their booty. I have no idea. But even if that's the case, they're still protected by due process of law. Even if the FBI thinks it's sketchy and thinks that sketchy people go in and out, they still have to have evidence to give a judge of probable cause why the FBI thinks it's necessary to access this stuff. To prove, to prove the crime that they're investigating. You can't just think, oh, you look sketchy. I think you're sketchy. Your pattern of behavior is sketchy. Therefore, I can steal all your stuff. Imagine if that was how our legal system worked. Imagine if that was our criminal justice system. And yet here it is. They have returned, the FBI has returned some of the stuff, but huge caveat here, the people whom they stole from had to submit an official request on the FBI's website to have their, their belongings returned to them. And the requests, those who submitted the requests were often subject to audits and investigations. So really, it was just a trick to get people to communicate with the FBI. So this is one of the reasons why when people say, well, the FBI leadership is political and corrupted, but we can't abolish the FBI. There are rank and file good men and women serving our country. I would say, where? These good apples that you talk about, where are they? Because they're not in Philadelphia. They weren't in Michigan. They're not in Florida. They're certainly not in Los Angeles. That's not just corrupt leadership in the heart of the swamp in Washington, D.C. This is everywhere. I don't want to be right about this, but all the evidence, all the evidence is, is laying out, laid out right in front of us. I know some people will say, well, it's too extreme. It's too hyperbolic to say abolish the FBI. The FBI does serve some necessary functions. And those functions, those necessary functions should be farmed out to either other agencies, other law enforcement apparatus, maybe state and local law enforcement, and the rest of it should be raised. The FBI in its current form cannot be saved. You can pretend to save it. You can eliminate some of the political people at the top, but the corruption is to the core. It is rotten to the core. It makes me sad to say that because I'm sure there are some good people who work for the FBI. Every single person employed by the FBI 
is not evil, is not abusing their power. But the sad part is those good people are the minority. The vast majority of the FBI function right now has been corrupted. If you don't recognize that, you're not, you don't properly recognize the political enemy that we're facing, the political opposition that we're facing. And if we don't properly understand what we're facing, we will not fight back well against it. We will lose. So all of this is to say, how do we think about, as conservatives, how do we think about what happened to Mark Houck, the pro-lifer who lives outside of Philadelphia? How do, how, what, what do we do with this story? Not just how do we process it, but what are our next steps? What do we learn from this? If you haven't already subscribed to the show, please do so. Open Apple Podcasts, open iTunes, and click subscribe. On YouTube, you can find me at Liz Wheeler Show. Please click subscribe over there. Also hit the bell so that we can notify you every time we have a new episode, a new video, a new interview. Um, I really appreciate it. It helps, it helps grow the show immensely when you subscribe. So how, how do we think about this FBI raid on this pro-lifer? So first of all, we have to understand that this is the next when the FBI raided Mar-a-Lago or when they targeted Trump with the Russia collusion allegations and we all said, oh, they're targeting Trump first, but if, this, if, if our elected officials don't hold the FBI accountable, then we're next. This is the next. Mark Houck is one of us. He's not the former president or a sitting president. He's not in the upper echelons of these political swamp games. He's us. This is next. The FBI, it's coming for us now, not next, now. This is the second phase of the plan that we've discussed that the left was unfolding against us all along. First, they wanted to criminalize Trump's speech. Why? Well, yes, because they hate him, but also because criminalizing Trump's speech allows them to criminalize our speech. Why do they want to criminalize our speech? Well, yes, because we supported him, but also because then we can't expose their agenda. Then their agenda goes unchallenged. The radical left, especially the radical left that embraces a Marxist ideology, really does believe in a two-tiered system of justice. They really do believe in two sets of rules, rules for themselves and rules for us, rules for Democrats and rules for Republicans. This is what we're seeing unfold. And remember, we have so many laws on the book. There is a law to get everyone. There is some law somewhere that you are probably completely unaware of that you are in violation of. And if the FBI is using these tiny, teeny infractions that aren't even real infractions to get regular people, is anyone safe from this? This, this is more dangerous. What happened to Mark Houck and his family is more dangerous than Mar-a-Lago. He now faces 11 years in prison. His father, his, his wife, and his children rely on him to provide for them. What's going to happen to this guy? Well, I'm sure he'll get a plea deal that involves him being prohibited from praying outside of Planned Parenthood clinics, abortion clinics. What he's doing fighting back in the culture war is so effective that it frightens the left. And so they will use the power of the federal government to force him to stop. President Trump has an immense amount of money, an enormous platform and universal name recognition on his side. When he's targeted by the FBI, it's unfair and it's dangerous and it's a threat to our country, but he has the tools to use to fight back. What does Mark Houck have? He doesn't have unlimited money. He doesn't have universal name recognition. 
He doesn't have a platform that when he opens his mouth, every news channel in, in the, on the planet basically covers it. This man is just an everyday guy. The first priority of the GOP Congress when we take back the House of Representatives and when we take back the Senate in November, the first priority must be to impeach Mayor Garland. This is something that the Republicans can do if Joe Biden is president. We don't need the presidency to impeach Merrick Garland. This can happen with the House and with the Senate. Merrick Garland is a dangerous, bad man. He is unfit to be attorney general. He has abused his position of power to, to use, to harness the power of the federal government to target his political opponents. This is what happens in third world countries. This is what authoritarians do. The phrase police state is how Merrick Garland is behaving. Every single Republican who seeks election this fall should be asked, will you impeach Merrick Garland? And if they waffle or waver or hesitate at all, they are not fit to serve. So I also want to talk about what the left is trying to provoke by their behavior and then how we should react. Because it's pretty obvious that the FBI is trying to provoke an insurrection. They labeled everyone around January 6th an insurrectionist for their, for their rhetorical war games. But the radical left actively wants violence. They want conservatives and Trump supporters and Republicans and right-wingers to commit some act of violence so that they can associate everybody who shares a political view with the, the person or the few people who commit an act of violence. They want this to happen. They're teeing it up. That's why Biden got up behind the podium and called everyone extremists. It's why the Department of Justice calls everyone domestic terrorists. They're, they're trying to create what they want to happen. They're sitting there and they're waiting. They're wanting some right-winger to get frustrated and take a shot at the FBI. So how should we react to this? I want to be very clear here. Do not be provoked. Do not be violent. If you do, you will be surrendering our entire cause because that is exactly what the radical left needs you to do. We have their ideology by the throat and we are not going to let up. But if anyone messes up, if anyone allows the left to provoke them into violence, the game's over. There are a lot of people who wonder about when it's appropriate for individuals to partake in resistance, individual resistance to individual unjust acts perpetrated against them by the government. And th that's a valid question. It's a valid question to explore and to answer and to think about and to talk about. Individual resistance to individual unjust acts is not what our Second Amendment was about. This sounds strange to some people. I've actually had conversations about this with friends just in my personal life who push back on this idea, who say, no, you know what? I can defend myself and my family against overreach by the government. And I say, no, that's not appropriate. That's not what the Second Amendment is for. The Second Amendment is not for individuals to prevent individual violation of rights. 
In fact, there are in a in a functioning republic, there will be times that individual citizens will be subject to having their individual rights violated in an unjust and illegal way. And it doesn't justify use of the Second Amendment. Hear me out. The Second Amendment was about collective resistance. The point at which the government becomes so tyrannical that it cannot be fixed, there's no recourse, that we've run out of options, and the only thing to do is to topple the entire government. That's the purpose of the Second Amendment. It's why I kind of laugh when the left calls any, any firearms that you have in your home weapons of war. I think to myself, yeah, that's actually what they are. They're weapons of war. We keep them in case we need to wage war against the government. It's not really for individual protection. You can use them for self-defense, but it's not for individual protection. It's in case we collectively, as a citizenry, need to band together to overthrow the government. And it's not for anything less than that. We are not at that point. We're not even close to that point. We have many avenues of recourse for the truly egregious abuse of power that's being inflicted on us by the federal government. The first, the first method of recourse is the law, is to appeal. Whenever, whenever I get discouraged about the state of our country or how many institutions have been compromised, I sit back and I think, you know what? We have a half dozen ways that we can advocate for our own rights and that we can hold the government accountable. And a nation that's truly teetering on the edge past the point of no return, citizens don't have that, those methods of recourse. So we can still use the law. Our, our, our legal system and our, our, our laws, sure, they've been hijacked by the Department of Justice and by Merrick Garland and by George Soros's radical pro progressive prosecutors. There's no doubt about that. But Mark Houck can still use the law and appeal to stand up for his rights. He can also still use his speech just like his wife has done. What has his wife done? She's exercised her right to free speech. She's used her voice. She's told this story so that the American people understand what the government has done to her family. Then we have the media. Sure, the media has been, been the mainstream media, the corporate media has been corrupted by leftist ideology. They don't want to report abuse of power by the government when it's aimed at conservatives, but independent media True journalists and conservative, conservative commentators and analysts, we want to talk about that. We also have voting. I know a lot of us have grown very discouraged about the integrity of our election system, and for good reason. I feel discouraged about that too. But discouragement does not mean that we don't have faith in the fact that we can vote out politicians who don't represent our rights. It means that we have to protect the integrity of our election systems as we vote these politicians who are protecting our rights out. It's not a lost cause. It's just a cause that we need to be vigilant about. There's also congressional accountability. Congress has an oversight role, especially over the agencies in the federal government. If the FBI is abusing their power, then Congress, particularly when Republicans take back power after November, Congress should exercise their oversight role and hold the FBI to account. There's also state-level accountability, state legislatures. Talk to your state legislator about what can be done to hold the FBI accountable when FBI field offices are being used 
to violate the individual rights of citizens in that state. That's a lot of avenues of recourse. So I, I don't mind having the conversation. I know some people don't want to touch the conversation of individual resistance because they don't want to be, they don't want to be accused by the radical left of talking about a civil war, or the great divorce, or anything of that nature. I'm not afraid of having that conversation. We should have that conversation. But the lesson, the moral of the story in this conversation is the left wants to provoke you. They want you and they need you to commit acts of violence. Do not do it. Do not be provoked. We will win this battle against them if we are not provoked. And we have many, many avenues of recourse. Many. One of the other things that you can do is the Halk family. Actually, let me, let me back up a second. A woman by the name of Ashley Garrett whose daughters, you might remember the story, whose daughters a year or two ago, they were 13 years old and 15 years old at the time, they were likewise praying outside of a Planned Parenthood clinic in Pennsylvania. And they were bullied by a grown man, Pennsylvania congressman or Pennsylvania representative, I should say, Brian Sims. You remember this grown man that was picking on these two little teenage girls. They were tiny little girls. This woman who experienced the same sort of thing as Mark Houck and his family are now experiencing, she set up a give, send, go to raise money for this family. Because it's going to cost them a lot in legal fees. It's going to cost them a lot in lost income. This is going to be an ordeal for the family, and it will it will drain their resources. So she set up a fundraiser for them, Give, Send, Go. You can join me in donating to them, givesendgo.com slash pro-life family. They've raised nearly $200,000 for this family in just, in just a day or two's time, which is wonderful to see all of you who have turned out to support this family, givesendgo.com slash pro-life family. I'll post the link in on locals so that everyone who wants can also join me in donating to this family. Over on locals, we're gonna talk about a cultural thing. Tom Brady, football star Tom Brady, who, by the way, is my husband's favorite football player. He's engaged in some drama here, some marital problems, which I'm sad to see. Apparently, Giselle was not at his season opener football game. Even though it was at his home stadium, his kids were there, but Giselle is very unhappy that he's choosing football over the family. So we're going to talk about that and how Tom Brady is currently threatening his legacy with the very fans who love him with his behavior. So join me at LizWheelerShow.com slash locals. If you use my promo code ACCESS, then you can watch for free for your first month of your annual subscription. That's lizwheelershow.com slash locals. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show.